Hello, Freedom Fighters, and welcome to the First in Freedom podcast, where we discuss current threats to our freedom, how they impact us here at home, and what we can do to stop it. In this week's episode, I do a deep dive on the race for our next U.S. Senator, and I'll interview one of the candidates you've probably never heard of. I'm your host, Jason Phibbs, and we're taking freedom back. Freedom is a fragile thing, and it's never more than one generation away from extinction. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on Earth. And no time to waste today, folks. Let's just get right to it. Let's get to news you need to know. All right, news you need to know today, uh, again, I'm focusing this episode on the U.S. Senate race, and I've been talking about this for you know, the last several podcasts, uh, sort of teasing that I was coming to this. And this is so important um, because, obviously, we only get to elect U.S. senators, um, or at least they serve six-year terms, so they're in there for a while when they get there. I mean, just imagine, you know, two terms, that's 12 years, that's a long time to serve in government. Um, so it's it's a really important role, and obviously it has a huge impact on, on our state and the nation. And so one of the things I wanted to do was first, let's just look at how our current senators are doing. Um, we have not had a good conservative senator in a long, long time, and yet we've had Republicans. Uh, Richard Burr has been there forever. He's retiring this year, uh, thankfully, and so he's going to be replaced, and Tom Tillis has been in there since 2014, and he just won his second term back in 2020. So he's going to be there for 12 years before it's over with. And let's just look at what we've been getting out of this. Um, If you go to Conservative Review, and I'll link this in the show notes, but Conservative Review, which is obviously a conservative uh, news publication, um, one that I subscribe to or at least uh, read quite frequently. You don't have to subscribe to read. It's free. But um, they have a lot of great information. Daniel Horowitz, who works with Conservative Review, has a great uh, has the Conservative Review podcast. I highly recommend that. He's been all over COVID for the last two years. But anyway, they put something together called the Liberty Score. And as you might uh, suspect, or for those who are familiar with these types of scoring uh, services for um, elected officials, what they do, whether you're on the conservative side or the progressive side, or it could even be a policy-related issue. They, you know, There's groups that do this for the life issue specifically, or the NRA does it for guns, et cetera. But basically what they do is they go through all of the different legislation that's come up over the years, and they'll pick out the pieces that are specific to their cause or they believe have a specific, you know, left or right leaning or whatever the case may be. And then they'll say, you know, here's here how here's how we think the elected officials should have voted if they were voting for our priorities. And then here's how they voted. And that will either be obviously the same or different. Well, for the um, conservative review Liberty Score, I went and looked at their information and actually I credit to uh, another podcaster, Matt Gore, out in the eastern part of the state. He made this post the other day uh, on the Liberty score. And so it definitely drew my attention and I thought it was a great resource. So I wanted to share it with you all. And he pointed out the scores for both of our United States senators from North Carolina, and you'll never guess what they are. So for Senator Richard Burr, 
been in D.C. for 17 years, his Liberty score is 41%. That is an F. So that means that out of all the votes that have been scored by conservative review over the time, while in, during the time he's been in office, he has voted the conservative position only 41% of the time. That's atrocious. Well, what about Senator Tom Tillis? Not much different. He's been in D.C. for seven years. Um, his next election will be up in 2026. His liberty score is 47%. That is also an F. So we've got two United States senators from North Carolina, both who are Republicans, and yet vote conservatively less than 50% of the time. In fact, to show you how bad this is, even Mitt Romney has a higher liberty score than they do. Now, not by much. Yeah, I think he's just slightly over 50%. But the bottom line is, is these are terrible scores. Terrible. We have terrible Senate representation in the Congress, and we shouldn't stand for it. And so, I want to talk a little bit about today, uh, a little bit today about how that happens. Um, what type? Well, first of all, I want to go in a little bit more depth with the type of the votes that have come up, and I want to look at this race that's coming up because we have a primary coming up literally in two months. I'm recording this on March the 17th, literally two months from today on May 17th. We will all go to the polls to vote in the United States Senate primary for North Carolina. So we will be picking the Republican that we want to run against, you know, one of the many Democrats that are running as well. And this is our opportunity. It's right now, not in November. It's right now is when we as conservatives, as freedom loving people have the opportunity to pick a freedom fighting candidate that we want. So, you know, we can't sit by, put our head in the sand, not do anything, and then whine and moan when we get to November and we complain that we don't have a conservative person to choose from. So now's our opportunity. So let's look a little bit. I wanted to highlight some of Tom Tillis's uh, voting record specifically as it relates to this Liberty score. I want to give you some of the specific votes so you can just get a feel um, for what uh, what he's been doing and, and, and how this matters. Um, so number one, the the first, and I'm not going to go through every single one. I'm just pick out a few of these here. Uh, but the first one, or the most recent one, this was from December of last year, and the vote was to to fund Joe Biden's progressive agenda and federal vaccine mandates through February 18th of 2022. Obviously, the conservative position was to vote no. Tom Tillis voted yes. Um, the next one, this one goes back to March of last year in 2021 extend the paycheck protection program without steps to mitigate fraud. So, you know, this goes uh, to obviously the idea of, of reducing fraud. Um, paycheck protection, I'm sure, had something to do with paying people not to work, um, perhaps some kind of support program, you know, government uh, subsidies, etc. Conservative position was to vote no. He voted yes. Um, all of Biden's nominees for uh, Administrator of the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, Merrick Garland, Attorney General, Anthony Blinken for Secretary of State, Janet Yellen for Secretary of the Treasury, all left-wing radicals. Obviously, the conservative position is to vote no. He voted yes on all of them. Uh, there was a so-called uh, COVID relief bill um, and $1.4 trillion in special interest spending. So we're all familiar with the COVID bills, all of the, the massive amount of spending that has just driven inflation way up for those who haven't heard Glenn Beck mention this the other day I thought this stat is just this stat is mind-boggling so I have to mention it to you since 2020 just two years ago 80 percent 
of the money supply that we have in the United States has been printed in the last two years. Think about that for a minute. That's incredible. 80% of the money supply has been, has been printed in the last two years. And we wonder why inflation's through the roof. The dollar doesn't mean hardly anything. And, there can, and they just want to spend more. And all through, if you look at these votes, so many of these votes have to do with uncontrolled spending for everything you can think of, um, extending the debt limit. Right, every time we every time we raise the debt ceiling, that allows government to spend more money. Instead of saying no, you've got to work within your means. You 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 know, just like your family budget, you can't spend more than the money that you're making. Government needs to do the same thing, but they don't. They just keep spending, and it doesn't matter if they're Republicans or Democrats, or at least certainly in our case. Uh, Tom Tillis is voting the same way Democrats vote. And so when you look at so many of these different votes, you have to wonder, what's the difference? I mean, if we had a Democrat in office right now, I don't know that the voting record would be that different. And that's a serious problem. So, like I said, you can go through, actually going back to all the way back to 2018, uh, this sticks out to me. I remember this. There was a, there was a, a, a representative, I believe, from Florida who had proposed something called the Penny Plan, or it might have been somebody from Kentucky. Either way, there was some called the Penny Plan, and essentially it was a it was a clever way to get to a balanced budget without tax increases. Um, so it was a very simple, straightforward strategy. You can Google it. I'm sure you find information on it pretty easily. Um, this would have been a, a really solid idea in terms of how do we move forward to a balanced budget, which, by the way, we haven't passed a balanced budget since I don't know. I think it was back with the contract with America, back when Clinton was still in office, and we had a Republican Congress. Um, but again, the the conservative position there would have been to vote yes. He voted no. So whether it was, you know, voting for liberal legislation that has increased spending and you know continued to drive things out of control, given government more control of our lives, he has voted yes on those things when he should have voted no. And then when there were opportunities to rein in spending, to put caps on things, to put limits on things, um, to uh, put in reforms that would better manage uh, some of the entities that are running our lives. So, for example, uh, back in 2020, uh, the National Defense Authorization Act, which is something it's a routine thing that they pass every year. A lot has to do with a lot of uh, uh, the, the, the it lays out a plan for defense spending. There was reforms in there for Section 230, which for those who are familiar, Section 230 is what sort of gives social media, these social media platforms like Facebook and Twitter, the ability to kind of have their cake and eat it too, where they can basically, they don't have to be subject to liability like a newspaper does, um, but at the same time, they can censor anybody they want. So they're kind of getting the best of both here. They can they can stop whoever they want to stop, but they don't have to worry about any liability in doing so. And so the Section 230 reforms essentially is putting is trying to people are trying to put them in the position of, hey, you got to you got to pick. You're either like a newspaper, in which case you can be sued for liability, um, or you are a true sort of public space, in which case you can't censor anybody. So Tom Tillis's voting record is liberal. I mean, that's the bottom line. I mean, again, if less than 50% of your votes are conservative, isn't that the very definition of being a liberal? And so that's who we have right now as a United States Senator. And, you know, I'm sick to death of people saying things like, well, yeah, well, if, 
you know, if, if the other guy would have won, and I, his name's escaping me now, if the other guy would have won, it would have been even worse. Okay, well, yeah, but so that's my choice. My choice is to choose from bad or worse. That, that doesn't have to be my choice. That is a false choice. We can actually choose someone who is conservative. So why don't we do that? So you, this is just really important. Um, and you need to know, I wanted you to know, number one, where we stand today. So if you had any kind of illusions that the United States senators that we have right now are some kind of bedrock conservatives fighting for freedom, they are not. Now, when we go to the, um, or I guess sort of the next thing I wanted to get into was, so who's running for office now? Well, there's a whole ton of folks running, but I guess the question would be is, just based on what you've seen in the media so far, how many people do you think running for the United States Senate on the GOP side? My bet is you've probably only heard of four names, Ted Budd, Pat McCrory, Mark Walker, and Marjorie Eastman. Those are probably the only names you've heard. Yet, if you go to the Board of Elections, you will see that there are 14 people running for United States Senate on the Republican side. So there's a ton of cancer. So why aren't we hearing about any of these folks? Well, put it simply, it's all about the money, right? Follow the money. Um, and so the uh, I, I wanted to do a little bit of review of the um, primary debate that was held at the Carolina Liberty Conference back a few weeks ago. This was back at the end of February. I, I, I did a little preview of it in one of my prior podcasts. I went to this conference um, which it was a really good event put on by the John Locke Foundation, conservative group, etc. Well, the last thing they did was they had a Senate primary debate, GOP Senate primary debate. And um, Marjorie Eastman was there. Pat McCrory was there, um, as well as Mark Walker. Ted Budd did not show. He was at CPAC down in Florida. So these were the only people they invited. Now, if you look at the sort of the fine print uh, on the John Locke materials that they put out for the conference, they decided on those four based on they had these fundraising caps or minimums and they had you had to poll i think at least 10 percent in one of the polls that had been done something to that effect so what was really surprising to me and quite frankly disappointing is that here a freedom-loving organization like the john locke foundation used establishment criteria to decide on who they would allow to get into this debate and i think that's unfortunate because with the stage that they provided, they could have given an opportunity to a lesser known candidate to actually get some attention. And knowing that there would be uh, donors there at an event like that, they might have seen someone that they like better. And that would have given them an opportunity to maybe gain a little traction. So it's disappointing to start off with how they set up the debate in the first place. But it is what it is uh, nonetheless. And so I wanted to share a little bit of this debate with you and uh, kind of give you a chance, one, to hear sort of what it was like uh, with some of the questions. Um, also, I'll put a link to the full debate in the show notes so you can check it all out yourself. It's only an hour, so it's, it's not a long listen, and, and it's worth the listen. You need to hear the responses. I think if you, if you do that, um, you'll likely get the very same impression that I did. So don't let other people tell you about the candidates. You find out about the candidates for yourself. So the first uh, clip I'm going to play here, this was uh, the question had to do with, uh, or I guess a little bit of background. 
The question before had to do with Rick Scott. So Senator Rick Scott of Florida had proposed a plan, and essentially they had asked the candidates, you know, do you support this plan? Um, And essentially part of the plan has to cut government spending, and if you would agree, where would you cut government spending, et cetera. So that was kind of the lead up. Well, in answering that question, um, Mark Walker, former Congressman Mark Walker, said that he would support Rick Scott for majority leader. So as many of you probably know, Senator Mitch McConnell of Kentucky is the majority leader and has been in Congress forever. Um, and so uh, he's he, essentially Mark Walker is basically saying he was endorsing a change for leadership. So that's the lead up. So let me just play this clip um, and then you can get a feel for what this question was like and the answers that they gave. Sounds like you just endorsed Senator Scott of Florida for majority leader. 30 seconds for you, why you think that, and then 30 seconds to the other candidates who you would support for majority leader in the Senate. All four candidates were asked the question the other day, I'm the only one that came out and said Mitch McConnell's wrong. Former governor two weeks ago said he agrees with Mitch McConnell. The problem is, is we're here talking about all this stuff that has to change. Uh, how are you gonna change something unless you put new leadership into the pipeline? That's just, you just have to call it out for what it is. I, I don't think that Mitch McConnell was very happy the night on the House floor. I had a night that I called Get Moving Mitch We've got to be able to stand up and do what we have to do to make sure the change is brought in this country that's needed. Ms. McCurry? Uh, Mitch McConnell brought a change to the Supreme Court working with Donald Trump that we desperately needed. And without his legislative skills, it wouldn't have happened. And thank God for the new majority in the Supreme Court, which we might need to finally get our election going right here in North Carolina. We need to, and this Supreme Court justice, that uh, the very liberal Supreme Court justice that Biden just nominated, I want to work, I, I would work with uh, Mitch McConnell to ensure maybe we can get some Democratic votes to go. She's too radical for the United States of America and far too radical for North Carolina. Ms. Eastman. Well, I met with Mitch McConnell, Leader McConnell, before I announced my candidacy. And he and I have one thing in common that we want to be laser focused on, and it's winning this seat and keeping our state red. So I'm in complete agreement with that. As far as how I'm going to vote for leader, well, I look forward to doing that because we do that every two years. And well, I'm going to go back to what Senator Scott said in his plan because it's getting to a little bit of what these guys are also talking about, term limits. He also had in his plan that we need to have term limits. And that's what I did an honor pledge for day one. Two terms and I'm out, just like George Washington. Because we need people that want to go there to serve a tour duty, not to go put up a tent and make it a Thank life you, career. Eastman. All right. So that was uh, basically getting their reactions to Mark Walker's endorsement of Rick Scott for majority leader. And as you heard, and I actually agree with Mark Walker's answer that we need new Senate leadership. Now, I'm not sure that Rick Scott is the, the man. But at the same time, I do agree that you're not going to get any kind of real change in the Senate if you don't have new leadership. And so the fact that he was willing to endorse someone different, that says something. And that's certainly better than the other two candidates. Uh, They obviously were willing to go right in line with Mitch McConnell. Uh, No one's going to confuse Mitch McConnell with the conservative. Um, While we've been watching our individual liberties being trashed for the last two years, did you hear anything out of the United States Senate to help? I didn't. In fact, they were out there pimping the jab as much as anybody. So, um, and that's just, you know, that, that's just for starters. I mean, we could go on and on, no reining in of spending, continued federal overreach on, and you know, so it, it just goes on and on. But bottom line is, is that uh, Mark Walker at least, and I think points out rightly, uh, 
that if we want something different, you got to get a change in leadership. You need new leaders. And that speaks to this idea about a, a Senate candidate. If we want a United States Senator from North Carolina to represent freedom and fight for our values, then we need someone who will actually do that and stop picking from these establishment candidates that just have high name recognition. I mean, Pat McCrory was a longtime mayor of Charlotte, was a former city councilman, and then was governor of the state for four years. And again, I'm not saying I disagree with everything Pat McCrory did, but I also know he's not the most conservative candidate we could find either. Um, And again, he's so entrenched. He's been in politics forever. These guys, you you learn after a while to play the game. You're indebted to people for favors. People are indebted to you for favors. You're not going to get someone who is just going to do the right thing regardless. They're always going to be calculating the odds. They're always going to be looking at the, the, the political winds to see which way they're blowing. So I give credit to Mark Walker. One of the few questions in this debate that I actually thought someone had a pretty de- pretty decent answer for. The next question I want to highlight for you um, is a very straight up question. Um, this was had a this was a great question with a very simple answer. I want you to hear uh, what the candidates had to say about this. Mr. McCrory, in state government, which you are aware, the bulk of the state budget goes to education. But as a U.S. Senator, of course, you'll be at the federal level. My question for all of you, what is the role of the federal government in education? And what legislation would you write as a U.S. Senator from North Carolina related to education? First of all, I want the role of the federal government to be very, very small, if at all. If anything, I want to make sure we don't give grants. There are a lot of federal grants given out to primarily universities and some other types of schools. We want to make sure the grants are spent on things that actually help our kids get jobs as a part of indoctrination, which is happening in a lot of our university campuses right now. We got to encourage at the federal level more choice. As governor, I'm, I was the, one of the leaders of having charter schools and home schools and, and more choice and opportunity scholarships that are not just reserved for public schools, traditional public schools. I did that as a governor. I had my teaching degree, by the way. I got my teaching degree. My goal was to be a teacher. And now what we need to do is we need to protect our students and the parents from these types of indoctrination and get them to learn the basics and get them to have the skills necessary to get a job, especially when employers right now throughout the United States and especially North Carolina can't find qualified people to take their jobs. It's one of the biggest challenges we have in the United States right now. Our schools have got to get back to teaching skills. Thank you. Ms. Eastman. Well, I agree with you, Governor, that the government (laughs) does not need to be in all of our local decisions. We need to have limited government. But there is a role, absolutely. And where I think that our US Senator needs to put some weight and lean in is civics. We need to make sure our children are being taught nonfiction, not CRT. So that needs to be a focus from from that seat as your US Senator, is that we make sure consistently across our country that children are taught to be proud because they need to remember. Do you remember the 13 names I read at the very beginning? I served next to men and women who gave their life for our country. They gave their life for this right here, freedom of speech. They gave their lives for us to to live our American dreams. Our children need to be told those stories and they need to be proud of our country because they have every reason to be. 
Mr. Walker. Yeah, I was just thinking, uh, Pat, uh, it's not too late to be a teacher. You look pretty good. <laughs> so, yeah. So got some time there. Let me say, uh, it would, it would, I can make a call. So, yeah. It would be a promotion for any of the jobs that we're seeking <laughs> no, at this no point. No question, in time. my friend. No question. Uh, listen, uh, you heard him just say about the federal government being very small. I want it to be so small you can't even see it. In fact, I want the federal government's role to be non-existent when it comes to parents educating their children. I, I have the same general consultant, Governor Jeff Rowe, that ran Glenn Youngkin's campaign. That was the winning issue. Every now and then these crazy leftist radical actually say out loud what they believe. And when he said the parents do not have a responsibility in, in dictating or even advising on what their children should be taught, I think that's ludicrous. I talked about my A-plus act. Once again, I don't have to promise you we've delivered and we'll continue to do that as your next U.S. Senator. All right. So just listening though to those answers, I mean, first of all, I love the question what is the role of the federal government in education? And Pat McCrory, wrong. Marjorie Eastman, wrong. Mark Walker, eh, kind of okay. The simple answer here, folks, is that the federal government has zero role in education. And how do I know that? Is that because I'm mean? Is that because I don't like federal dollars coming into the states? Well, number one, the federal government has no money. You need to remember that. Where do you think the federal government gets money from? They get it from us. So the federal government doesn't have any money. They take our money, run it through their inefficient bureaucrat machine, and then they turn around and hold it ransom, hold us ransom to get it back. They, they make us agree to things in order to get our own money back to our states. Well, if you do this, then we'll give you this federal money. Well, if you do that, then we'll give you this federal money. It's our money. Second thing is, if you go to the Constitution of the United States, you will find no role for the federal government in education. None. There's no role for the legislature. There's no role for the executive branch. There's no role for the judiciary. Education is a state issue, period. So the, the, the conservative position here would be to dissolve the department, the federal department of education, get rid of any funding that they are taking from the states in order to turn around and allocate towards education. All of that money should just be left to the states. They should run their own programs, period. So, you know, again, Mark Walker's answer was the closest to a good one, but the easy answer was the federal government has a zero role. The last uh, clip I'm going to play here for you has to do with, um, the pandemic of the last two years, which is one of the most important issues to me with given that we have experienced the greatest violation of our individual liberties in our lifetime and the greatest fraud that has been perpetrated on the American people in our lifetime, given that that is what has happened in the past two years. What do these candidates have to say about federal overreach? Let's listen. Um, one thing that did come up in the last discussion was we're talking about federal overreach. Uh, the federal government has uh, expanded that overreach, particularly during COVID, uh, and that's something a lot of folks have been concerned about. Is there a particular part of federal overreach into individual liberties uh, that alarms you? And what, as a U.S. Senator, do you feel like the Senate could do and you could do to try and protect those individual liberties? Uh, can I just say yes? Yes, there's overreach. I mean, that's the part we're all tired of being told what to do, right? And, and that's so much of where we're all at a breaking point. And yes, I don't think the government should be mandating, you know, what we know at the local level 
I mean, we've got to keep the power at the individual level and for families at the family level. And so that's, I, I don't think you're gonna get a different answer from any of us. That's the spirit of being a conservative, a good conservative, is that you keep that guide light on. And so that is absolutely how I will lead as a US Senator. So being the ranking member on intelligence and counterterrorism for our Homeland Security Subcommittee in Washington, D.C., we did some deep dives on this, how it originated, how it came out of the Wuhan lab. Um, we still don't know for sure whether it was premedicated or premeditated, uh, specifically how it got loose, but it caused international harm. A lot of families suffered from it. But in the words, I believe it was Democrat Minority Whip James Clyburn or somewhere in the Democratic leadership, they said this, never let a crisis go to waste. Now think about that, a, a pandemic, and their instinct is to never let a crisis go to waste, and they didn't. So they used COVID to literally fast track some things. Specifically, they used it to see how much liberty Americans were willing to surrender, and frankly, they were surprised just how much liberty Americans were willing to surrender. Not only that, they used it in several states to literally override their state constitutions, declaring a state of emergency to send out mass ballots that were funded by George Soros and other liberals to help change the very election law. It's real and we've got to fight against it. Mr. McCrory. Yeah, it was insulting to watch our governor and our president implement things based upon, quote, science. Because it wasn't science, it was politics. I mean, think about North Carolina. We closed the bars, but kept the breweries open. We closed the churches and the gyms, but kept adult nightclubs open as long as they had buffets. We made junior high basketball players wear masks while running around the track or shooting basketball, and yet at Carolina and Duke and the Charlotte Hornets, they didn't have to wear masks. The virus knew the difference. It was a joke, and we lost the trust of government because they said it was science when some of it was science, but some of it was pure politics. And we've got to take the politics out of science. And right now, politics is taking over science. And the COVID was a perfect example. And a lot of people suffered, a lot of small businesses. You know, we kept the Walmarts open and the Lowe's open, but we closed the small retail mom and pop store. It wasn't based upon science. It had to do with lobbyists in Washington and in Raleigh. Science is important, but let's don't politicize it. So listen to there. I mean, that was a that was that was just a softball set up for him to just smack out of the park. What kind of federal overreach have you seen? Has there been too much federal overreach? And what specifically as a United States senator would you do about it? Did anybody hear any specifics? <laughs> I mean, they basically just said, oh, yeah, you know, there's been a lot of overreach. Um, yeah. I mean, it's kind of implied in the question. And, of course, they know in a GOP debate you have to say that. You have to say that there's too much federal government. Yet, did anybody hear any specific ideas on what they would do to make sure that nothing like this ever happens again? <coughs> anybody hear anything about accountability for Dr. Fauci, Deborah Burks, any of the people that perpetrated this terrible uh, tyranny on the American people? <coughs> I mean, Folks, you have to remember that all the pieces that made this happen over the last two years are all still in place. Dr. Fauci still works for the federal government. He is still the highest paid employee in the federal government. 
local health directors, state health department, governors, leaders, uh, organizations, whatever, all of these groups, hospital administrators, all the people that made this tyranny possible are still in the positions that they were in for the past two years. The limits that medical uh, credentialing organizations put on your doctors, making them so scared, threatening to take away their medical licenses so they would not practice medicine at all and tell you to wait till you cannot breathe and then go to the hospital. All of these policies, all of these procedures, all of these entities, all of this bureaucracy is all still in place. And what, what specific thing did any of these folks mention that they were going to do about it? Nothing. You know, just some outrage and, oh, you know, I can't believe this. And, yeah, you know, and, and I won't do that if I'm a United States senator. Listen, if you're not going to talk tough as a candidate, you have to assume that people will be even less tough as an actual official. Because that, that's just tends the way things work. When people get into office, they learn things that they didn't know before. They have to work with other people, et cetera. So if you can't even talk tough when you're running, there's no hope of thinking that they're going to get tougher when they get into office. And so the bottom line with this, folks, is that if we keep picking the same kind of people, we're going to get the same kind of results. We all know the definition of insanity. And so we've got to do something different if we want something different. I'm just going to read the list of candidates running for the United States Senate on the GOP side in North Carolina, just so you hear their names at least once. Jen Banwart, Miss Lee A. Bryan, Benjamin E. Griffiths, Charles Kenneth Moss, Licia Sabatu, sorry if I messed up your name, Pat McCrory, Drew Belusa, Ted Budd, Leonard Bryant, Ken Harper Jr., Mark Walker, Marjorie Eastman, David Flaherty, and Deborah Shivo, I believe is how you say that. So there's a ton of candidates out there to choose from. I will post a link uh, to the uh, list of candidates on our, our local Stanley County Board of Elections website. I'm sure everybody will be able to access that. Go look up these candidates online for yourself. Go find their websites, find their campaign Facebook pages, and find out what these people are about it is critically important. If we want something different, we got to choose something different. All right, so let's get to today's Freedom Focus. So in today's Freedom Focus, I had the honor of interviewing a one of these candidates for United States Senate that you've probably never heard of. His name is Ken Harper Jr. He's from the Greensboro area, and I'm going to let you tell him I'm going to let him tell you more about who he is and why he's running and his background and his policies and et cetera. But um, I met Mr. Harper at the Stanley County Lincoln Day dinner earlier this year. So um, I was there, you know, with my wife and I, we were, you know, just there supporting some local candidates and just, you know, seeing what was going on. And uh, my, myself and a friend were on our way to get some drinks. And Mr. Harper just came walking up to us, introduced himself told us he was running for the United States Senate, uh, gave us a card. And so I thought, you know what? He had a very interesting story, a very compelling, um, super nice guy, um, definitely had piqued my interest. And I thought, you know what? Like, I want to hear more. You know, and obviously we just talked literally for a minute or two. Um, but I thought, you know, let me get his card. Let me go look him up and just see what he's all about. Um, and I liked what I saw. And, you know, I'm not saying that I'm endorsing him just yet. I'm, I'm still looking as well. 
but he, but his candidacy is worth a look. And I want to encourage you all to, to listen closely to his interview, hear his story, and then I want you to go check him out, uh, you know, along with all the other candidates and make the choice that is right for you. So without further delay, let's get to my interview with Ken Harper, Jr. Thank you, Ken Harper, for joining the First and Freedom podcast. How are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, Jason. Truly, it's an honor to be on here with you today, and thank you for the opportunity. Um, it's a great day to be alive. Absolutely. So uh, let's just start. Um, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, your platform, and why you chose to run for Senate. Well, um, Obviously, my name is Ken Harper. Uh, I'm from High Point, North Carolina, uh, Guilford County area. That's where I grew up, that's where I went to school and um, graduated high school in the, the mid 90s and became a fast father. Uh, my daughter, my first daughter was born two weeks after I graduated high school. And wow. I, <laughs> so I had to make a decision. Was I gonna raise my child or was I gonna go to college? Cause I had an opportunity to go to Morris Brown University uh, but because of the parents that I have and the, the uh, Christian conservative background that I came from, um, I worked 16 hours a day. I raised my daughter, who's now she's 26 years old. She's graduated uh, college and she has three sisters. And um, I also now have a grand a, a, a grandchild. Oh, wow. uh, <laughs> uh, my, my wife name, her name is Sarah. And um, uh, also I'm an entrepreneur. Uh, I've been an entrepreneur for the last 26 years, but Strategically, the last 15 years, I've worked in the financial service industry in insurance and investments, really building a, a high level of rapport with clients all across the United States. I've been licensed in more than a dozen states. Um, I have hundreds of clients here in North Carolina, and my reputation really means a lot to me. And I learned how to treat people in the financial service industry, especially understanding a fiduciary responsibility of putting the interests of your clients first. Uh, I think that's something that has... Uh, gotten completely misstrewed, excuse me, uh, in the uh, political realm and the lack of servitude uh, that we see with our elected officials. Um, I heard a call, Jason, um, this was not anything on my uh, radar that, that, that I saw. Um, with, with my uh, community work, and when I say community work, uh, the uh, financial service arena, and I took something that was very needed into the schools, prisons, and churches. And um, it landed me in many volunteer board positions, none of which I was solicited for, uh, or even solicited myself, but just because of my volunteerism and my heart for people, it opened up doors throughout Gifford County on boards such as the Cherie Denise Jackson Foundation, which addressed domestic violence. I worked for the Warfare Liaison Project, which helped uh, prisoners here in North Carolina um, who uh, needed to get on the right foot and uh, needed some financial literacy. And then I went into elementary schools and, and teaching uh, uh, children and work with the local uh, police. And so um, eventually, <clears throat> one of the biggest things that, uh, and I, I told this from day one, uh, that I was in the Democratic Party and uh, I, as an entrepreneur, uh, I was a polit uh, political, but um, a door opened up and I ended up sitting on the board in Reverend Jesse Jackson's uh, Rainbow Push Coalition. Uh, wow. and that opened up my eyes after about three years because one, I always asked tough questions because I always wanted to know why they still stood for policies that decimated the nuclear family. Um, and so everybody always looked at me like, who's this odd guy? Um, you know, I was really a conservative in the Democrat world. <laughs> so, so I'm a recovering Democrat. <laughs> but um, my, my platform being that um, I've been in the ministry uh, serving under my father, High Point Solid Rock Ministries uh, for over 20 20 plus years. Um, I just turned 46 years old. 
Um, I love America. Um, as an entrepreneur, man, I love freedom. Um, there's nothing like, man, being able to have your own business and being able to be successful and being a blessing to your community, but then being able to hop on a plane and uh, go to different states, enjoy yourself, um, and just, and, and, I mean, and, it, and it's really priceless. Um, and when I, when I really think about where we are right now, it, it just blows my mind. But uh, um, I, I really converted, um, uh, I, I say I converted because Donald Trump attracted me uh, to this party uh, from the perspective and allowed me to really do the homework and due diligence. I'm an autodidactic, I'm self-taught. But when I really understood socialism and communism um, and and, and uh, fascism and how uh, the political realm utilizes these, these regimes and these platforms to destroy history. And then when I dug real deep into the policies of Donald Trump and I looked at how my business was growing from 16 to 17 to 18, um, and he stood for religious liberties, protecting the sanctity of life. He stood for um, also even reducing many of these sentences that had decimated the African-American families with the First Step Act. And then when I looked at school choice, um, you know, just had to give Donald Trump his credit where it was due. Um, mm -hmm. You may not like his personality, but I could definitely live with his policies. Mm -hmm. no, that's great. Thanks so much for sharing that. And I think your background is so interesting, especially having been with uh, the Rainbow Push Coalition, which obviously, you know, has been uh, sort of a far left leaning group and, and then coming all the way uh, over to uh, this side. It's interesting. Um, on your website, you have a picture with the statement freedom versus fear. What does that mean mm -hmm. to you? Well, when I really think about um, the, the amazing story of our American history, which really in, in many essence has a lot of stains on it, but at the same time, it is one of the, one of the best stories of perseverance and freedom uh, for the individual and for liberty. Uh, when you look at what the constitution stands for uh, and really looking at the Republican party and how in 1860, they pulled away from the Whig party because popular sovereignty was continuing to spread uh, across the United States. And they truly wanted to make the United States a, a, a land of freedom for all men. And so when I look at um, our constitution, I look at our bill of rights, uh, I look at the opportunities that we have here in America, especially after visiting Africa in 2019 with my wife who went on a mission trip it opened up my eyes when I saw third world poverty in 2019, people who had no running water, no indoor, indoor plumbing or lights sleeping on the floor, uh, who still had joy in their heart. Uh, and we live here in America uh, and poverty is in, in, in America and poverty in the third world is a whole different component. And when you look at the opportunities that we have here, that we live in a free nation, uh, where you can be and do and have what you want to do if you're willing to do the work, if you're willing to persevere, and you're willing to become that person of character, the world that America can offer to you is like none other. Um, but fear has really uh, galvanized the minds of men and women, especially over the last two years, uh, from the perspective of, of the pandemic. Um, you know, some call it pandemic. Um, <laughs> but either, either way, um, the fear has stifled into the hearts of men and allowing them to not understand that the government actually works for us, not vice versa. Uh, and we, the people, can't be led by fear. Fear is nothing but false evidence appearing real. That's something that I learned as a young entrepreneur selling Kirby vacuum cleaners, that I had to face my fear at the door and overcome those fears because when I did, truly, I could grasp hold of my success. 
And so I stand by faith, walking by faith and not by sight, because it's only faith that is going to bring us back closer together as a country to level our playing field and truly fight against the, the demonic and evil forces that are trying to stop America, destroy the prosperity of America, and we must stand against fear. We, we, we must be fearless in this process to take our country back. Yeah, amen to that. Um, according to a January poll of North Carolina voters by the John Locke Foundation, um, tell us specifically how you would address the following issues according to those polls. We'll just take them one at a time. So the first issue, number one issue uh, based uh, for North Carolina voters, and again, this was back in January. So uh, again, we'll, we'll throw in the, the Ukraine issue here in a minute. But the first one is securing the border and preventing illegal immigration. How, how would you, what do you think needs to be done to address that? Well, I mean, really, Jason, um, th that's a pretty easy one, because if the, the wheel is round, we don't have to reinvent it. Uh, Donald Trump had a policy uh, to remain in Mexico, and he also had a policy to build our wall, uh, which that was uh, being done prior uh, to the uh, new president, uh, Joe Biden, entering into the White House, who took an axe on day one uh, and went through Trump's policies, annihilating those policies and, and putting us in a position of retrogression. Um, you know, if you don't have secure borders, you don't have a secure country. I think our national security truly is at stake. Um, I would completely uh, I wish Joe Biden would have sent $350 million uh, to the Border Patrol so they could actually finish uh, that wall instead of sending that over there to uh, Ukraine. Um, because for one, with the amount of fentanyl that's crossing our border daily, the sex trafficking that's taking place, um, the, the cartels who are, who are truly uh, uh, you know, oppressing uh, individuals, and not only that, but the Border Patrol who is overworked, um, doesn't have the resources and the things that they need, um, it is setting America up uh, for truly a tragedy at some unknown time that we may uh, not be able to deal with if it continues. So I would first secure our borders, vet those individuals uh, who uh, need to come into our country, but they need to follow a legal process and they need to remain in Mexico uh, and while they wait uh, to, and stand in line, but they cannot come into our country uh, I illegally. And so I will support um, to remain in Mexico and, and building the wall like Donald Trump did. Thank you. Yes, um, so the second one is um, ensuring election integrity. How would you how would you do that? Well, um, for one, I believe we need to remove um, the machines, uh, any machine that is connected uh, to the Internet because it is uh, potentially subject to fraud and um, because it should be easy to vote and hard to cheat. However, in this, in this current environment that we're in, we're seeing voter fraud uh, taking place all across the country. And in many uh, parties, especially in the Democratic Party, um, it just seems as it's something to uh, be swept up under the carpet and individuals don't wanna do their due diligence to understand that uh, elections need to be free and fair. And we need to have a process that every American knows that their vote counts. Um, also, too, uh, I would recommend that we go back to paper ballots um, as, as well. And we, we need voter ID. Voter ID um, is something that's simple. I mean, at the end of the day, most people are driving to the polls, so they got a driving license in their pocket. I don't know, understand why it's so hard to pull it out and show it and walk in the booth and vote. So, you know, I would just uh, uh, stand for some of the common sense things, um, uh, paper ballots, um, also, I think there needs to be a check and balance process uh, for the, um, the, the voter election board 
um, as, as well to make sure that there are forensic audits for every single election um, to make sure that our roles are clean, um, that um, no one voted in someone else's stead. And uh, just keeping this process as transparent as possible will allow the public trust to be earned again in our election booth. Great. Um, the next one here is uh, combating inflation and lowering the cost of living. So obviously inflation, you know, we haven't seen numbers like this since the late 70s. Um, and then obviously that's, of course, increasing the cost of living for everyone. What, what do we need to do to, to, to combat that? Well, um, you know, if we can uh, kind of use um, the his history as a barometer uh, to uh, kind of gauge, if you look at what um, I think the uh, Federal Reserve Chair, his, his name was Balker and uh, Reagan around the, uh, 1979 and during the administration of uh, Ronald Reagan, one of the things that the Federal Reserve did was they increased uh, the interest rates because at that time, the interest rates were about 13 and a half percent. They increased the interest rates, which potentially put us into uh, a recession. Uh, however, that recession did drive the interest rates down and they stabilized at about four and a half percent. And so when we look at uh, Joe Biden really has uh, precipitated uh, this uh, inflation, uh, just from the perspective, day one, Keystone Pipeline, we were energy defend, uh, dependent um, and with our natural gas and, and petroleum. And, and really, uh, that was the whole goal of, of Trump for us to stop depending on foreign uh, resources. Uh, but Joe Biden uh, pretty much uh, also put large bills uh, on, on the books, uh, trillions of dollars of bills that have been passed, uh, which we know when you increase the money supply, the dollar weakens. Uh, and in, in essence, when the dollar weakens, if the prices of those commodities are going to increase on Americans. Uh, so, you know, Americans uh, saw inflation. We have inflation of 7.5% right now. Um, and the uh, CPI, the Consumer Price Index, hasn't been this high since 1982. And so, one, we have got to get back to putting America first. We've got to uh, stop the entitlements. We need individuals to get back to work. Um, and stop sitting home collecting a check on the couch. We incentivize individuals to depend on the government and uh, collect monies from the government. They were making more money uh, from the government versus actually working uh, you know, a regular job. And so we're seeing that in, with the lack of services uh, even to uh, get uh, a lunch because restaurants are closed because they can't find um, uh, em employees. We're seeing the price of bread, eggs, and milk uh, increase drastically. We're seeing light bills and gasoline. We're paying more than almost double uh, than when uh, Donald Trump was in office. So we have to get back to uh, putting America first. We have to get back to also putting America's back to work uh, to help stifle uh, the, the, the engine, which is the small business is the engine. And when you look at the, uh, what happened with the pandemic, it would appear to me that they wanted to put small business out of business. Um, and so I would stand up and protect of the engine of America, which is the middle class and the small business owners as well, not just the elites. Got it. Um, so one other, so this issue wasn't in the poll because obviously this was back in January. So I'll, I'm gonna put it in here just uh, given what's going on lately. So with speaking of Russia and Ukraine, in your opinion, what do you think the role of America should be uh, in that conflict? Well, obviously uh, my heart goes out to the Ukrainian uh, people who you know, are dealing with a tyrannical neighbor who wants to wipe them off the face of the, of the earth. You know, however, 
right now, when I look at the status of America, when we see that we have a woke, uh, woke military, uh, woke military leaders who have capitulated with our enemies, uh, such as China, when I look at the fact that we have qualified military personnel who are now exiting the military uh, simply because their medical freedoms have been imposed upon, uh, and they are choosing God over country um, because of the lack of leadership. I believe right now with the, with, uh, the Joe Biden administration, the lack of competency um, that we're seeing from this administration and the poor policies uh, that, that we're uh, seeing from this uh, administration and the fact that we have open wide borders, uh, we are still climbing out of uh, a, a weakened economy. I don't believe that America needs to engage uh, with our troops on the ground or in the air right now between Ukraine and Russia. I believe that America's first agenda should be our first priorities. Uh, because in the state of our current military, even if you look at uh, China has stolen some of our uh, intellectual property and utilized it to uh, create a hypersonic weapon that potentially could be utilized against us. When you look at the botched exit of Afghanistan, over $80 billion that, uh, of military equipment, the United States military equipment that is borderlining also with China. I think that we could find ourselves in a very precarious, weakened status, which I feel we are right now, if we were to engage in war. Uh, so I think that we have to push back against the military industrial complex, and we have to stand for our constitutional freedoms, and we have to strengthen our United States. So I don't support uh, any armed forces fighting in Ukraine on the ground or in the air at this point at all. Yeah, I think that's well said. Um, we, we certainly have a lot more to worry about here from our own government <laughs> than we do from governments in other places in the world. Um, I guess kind of switching gears here a little bit. Um, th the pandemic over the past couple of years, obviously, has been, um, at least in my opinion, I think one of the greatest violations of individual liberty um, that I've ever seen. And now we're starting to, to, to see the, the, the proof that it's also been one of the greatest frauds that have been perpetrated on the American people. Absolutely. Do you agree that our federal health officials have failed us throughout this COVID pandemic? And if so, how do we ensure something like this never happens again? Jason, you're spot on. Um, you and I would concur on every point that you have previously made. Um, yes, our uh, federal leaders have, have failed us uh, in the capacity of, first of all, allowing big pharma uh, to get into a status where they're above the law. Um, and <clears throat> also too, when you look at the way that this whole situation was handled, where many of the medical experts who understand uh, my RNA, who understand uh, vaccines and how they are properly developed, uh, like Dr. Robert Malone, who had over three, four decades of medical experience and was blowing the whistle to say, hold up guys, what are we doing? Um, and we take those individuals and we see that they are being counseled in the culture. Well, when our federal government is taking individuals like that and silencing their voice, then we truly should be uh, alarmed. And we have to know that if we continue on this type of trajectory, um, that the cost that we will pay in the future will be astronomical. We have to push back against individuals who 
are taking uh, government funding, uh, such as NIH uh, and individuals, uh, career political individuals like Dr. Fauci, who have uh, hidden agendas, uh, who have participated in uh, laboratory experiments uh, that are detrimental to uh, humankind and, and participate in eugenics and things of that nature. It is time for us to get back to prosecuting uh, and, re and, and doing the homework and due diligence of these individuals who use tax dollars to break the law, um, to hurt humans and, and make, make them pay for what they have done. What I see in our government right now just beyond me. If you're evil, then you're good. If you're good, then you're evil uh, in the words of, uh, in the eyes of government. And so I'm going to be a conduit to fight against these type of tyrannical forces because I am vested with four daughters and a grandson. I told my children day one, do not take the vaccine because it wasn't a vaccine. It was gene therapy injections. There was no long-term study. They were denying us natural immunity. And they told us day one that we didn't even have need to wear a mask. So first of all, and then they said that children were less susceptible to even receiving COVID. And, and then they weren't even reporting the VARS reports about the vaccine injuries that were taking place all across the globe. And sadly enough, now we have individuals like myself, young individuals in our 40s and even our children who are, who are now subject to uh, uh, conditions that they didn't have prior to uh, being vaccinated. And not only that, but they've moved us backwards with these vaccine passports. Um, you've stifled education with our children's social skills. So this is a fraud. I don't want to participate in it, but what I do want to do is bring the people who, who have patents on many of these vaccines uh, and Fauci. I want them to be held accountable for their actions for the, against the American people and against the global citizens of the world. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And I think that's, I, I wish more people felt that way. I haven't heard um, any of the other candidates even talk about COVID at all. Um, you know, so many folks in this country in high level positions are just sitting on their hands. I think the, the United States Congress has been, for the most part, there's a few exceptions. Senator Ron Johnson, a few others have spoken out and done some great work. But for the most part, um, even Republicans have been MIA on this. And it's, uh, it's a shame. And we cannot let this happen again. No, Jason, we had 80 House Republicans who actually voted to participate in uh, collecting data against Americans. Mm -hmm. So again, I feel as a vote for Ken Harper is a vote against the establishment because I'm fighting for the people, Jason. That's great. Um, so uh, the first Republican U.S. Senate debate was held um, the other weekend at the Carolina Liberty Conference sponsored by John Locke and Raleigh. Um, and though you were not invited to participate, they had certain I guess, guidelines, fundraising, uh, polling, things of that nature. I just wanted to get your thoughts on what you heard from the debate, because I know you were there as I was. Um, I wanted to see what you thought about what you heard from the other candidates. Well, um, I would say that in retrospect, um, I, I was really saddened that I couldn't participate in the, mm -hmm. in the debate because I believed that I could have been a voice for many of the Americans who, who feel their voices aren't heard right now, who feel like the establishment has taken them for granted. I believe that um, you know, political experience, in my opinion, at, at this point, is really worthless. Uh, when you look at the experience that we're having as Americans, what value is political experience? And why should we continue to send 
uh, individuals who have been in uh, and been in our political North Carolina politics for the last 15, 20 years, uh, send them to Washington and expect them to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what I really saw from the perspective of uh, the John Locke Foundation was if you were a PAC candidate, then you could speak. That voice, the voice of an informed electorate. I believe that we are doing North Carolinian constituents a disservice when we don't allow candidates who are truly actively working and building rapport all across the state of North Carolina. I've been in over 60 counties. I've participated in three senatorial forums. Um, Currently, I've raised a little over $40,000, but I've never been in political office before. Those are grassroots contributions. I didn't take any money from special interests or PACs. So if anything, people should see that I'm the one actually working to earn their vote and earn their trust. All those individuals have been given PAC money. That PAC money also, North Carolina needs to be concerned. Because for one, that voice, the voice of the North Carolina constituents, when many of those individuals have money that's funded from Wall Street, it voids out the voice of North Carolina on Main Street. And not only that, but you're willing to compromise and capitulate for those individuals who are making uh, contributions. I'm not stating all PACs are bad. What I'm saying is we need campaign refinance. We need a level playing field and we need the North Carolina GOP to stop playing partiality. I don't even call it racism. I call it partiality and I call it ignorance because if you can't see that I'm a clear standout, then you are truly missing the boat. And that's a disservice to North Carolina. They should be able to hear everyone's voice and make their own decision about who they want to serve their interests in Washington, D.C. Yeah, no, I agree. I I don't think it's as much about, you know, like you said, it's not about partiality per se to any one person as much as it is just allowing all the voices to be heard so that they could potentially gain that kind of support. You know, if you were to be given a platform like that, that they had at the Carolina Liberty Conference, surely there were donors there. There were people there that were looking on, you trying to figure out who they want to back, that kind of thing. And since Ted Budd didn't show up, and you it was, was there. There was all. It was an open, open right. podium right there. There was no. And to me, that that lets me know that there, those are the political games. But I, I will be honest, Jason. Hmm. I believe that. I, I believe. I believe God's word. And hmm. and I believe many times individuals who think they are trying to sabotage someone who speaks for the for the people, they end up sabotaging themselves, and they end up falling in their own hole and trap. A lot of people know about that debate because I've been in 60 counties and they wanted to hear my voice and they were very disappointed. And they wrote letters to John Locke Foundation. I had individuals all the way from California make calls to John Locke, not not that I solicited them, but just on my behalf. So I I believe that really um, we have got to get rid of the establishment controlling the process of the information and the flow of information. Did you, um, I, I'm assuming you asked when you were at the conference or even before the conference, did you ask to participate specifically in the debate? And if so, what was their answer? Did they just give you that they had the, the particular guidelines? Is that the only answer you got? Or Yeah, we did ask. We had actually uh, sent an email because interestingly enough, I had actually registered for the event in December, not even knowing that it was uh, 
going to be a debate. I just thought it was a great event that I should attend and right. be there <laughs> because sure. uh, their itinerary didn't, uh, dis, uh, you know, disclose that they were going to have a, a, a Senate debate. So, yes, um, we we did contact them. We sent an email to them. And um, yes, they stated that, um, you know, based off polling, which, by the way, uh, none of these polls have, have included myself. Uh, so that within itself is is, a, is problematic. Um, and we did not only just see that in, in uh with the John Locke Foundation, I've seen it some uh, across the NCGOP, uh, even in certain districts. Uh, that we've seen it with uh, uh, Moore County. Uh, they had a, a senatorial forum, and they uh, wouldn't let me participate. And they were stating uh, fundraising uh, thresholds, which one of the candidates she didn't even have. There, there was she didn't even have any documentation, so that couldn't have been a part of the criteria um, because she didn't have any numbers at all. So again. Um, I, I believe that um, we, we as the people of North Carolina, need to ad address so many things. I think it needs to be addressed at the next uh, convention with Watley. Um, this is something that uh, I'm going to be speaking up because uh, at this point, you know, they didn't even want to let me speak last year. If it wasn't for Lee Haywood um, uh, here in Gifford County and the Black conservatives, uh, Chairman Watley wasn't going to let me speak. And so, you know, this convention, everybody knows who I am. Um, so he won't have a choice. And so these are some of the things that I'm going to be talking about uh, is strengthening our party. And I want to say this real quick, counteroffensive strategies. I hear a lot of, uh, in, uh, in the GOP, I hear a lot of talk about what the Democrats is doing. Um, and, and we don't have counteroffensive strategy. The GOP is completely on the ropes and completely on the defensive. If we don't have counteroffensive strategies to attack the Democrats with strong policies and strengthen our party with unity and, and, and moving this country forward, um, then we're, we're going to have a weak uh, constitutional republic that eventually will turn into a, a socialist communist uh, country. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, last question here is, um, according to that same poll that I mentioned earlier, Ted Budd and Pat McCrory are currently considered to be the front runners. Now, that being said, still, I think about 50 percent of the electorate hasn't made up their mind yet. So it's not like they have it locked down, but but they have sort of the highest polling, I guess, at, at this point. Right. So what do you say to the person who wants to vote for you or maybe wants to consider voting for you, but worries that they feel like they might be throwing their vote away? You know, just because, like you mentioned, how this, the system sort of set up. What do you say to folks like that? Well, I, I, I really say they're throwing their vote away. Period. If they if they're voting for either one of those guys, I'm I'm just being honest. Um, because uh, in retrospect, uh, Ted Budd took nine million dollars from the growth uh, growth action pack, um, which uh, that is nothing but a a billionaire who who uh, donated over uh, seven point five million dollars uh, to the growth pack, um, and that within itself is problematic. Um, we 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 also know that uh, why why would uh, you want a, a candidate who doesn't even show up to debates, to uh, talk to you, to listen to your concerns, to, to even uh, give you the value that you deserve. Because ultimately he's, there, excuse me, both of them. Um, because the three senatorial debates that I did participate in, neither one of those individuals have attended. Uh, uh, you know, if, if, if I was a teacher, uh, I'd have to flunk Ted Budd and, and Pat McCoy for absence. All the absences they have, good God, I couldn't pass them to the next grade. I mean, good gracious. So, I mean, if that's a, a, a measure point of showing up, you should be concerned because will they show up uh, to, uh, to, uh, to the Senate and listen to the debates? Will they debate, okay? 
are, are they going to continue to stay at home in their basements, ride endorsements, and, and follow this same trajectory? If, if the, the Republican Party does not wake up and understand that if we continue to do what we've always done, expecting a different result, then we are definitely insane. And so a vote for me is a vote against the establishment. A vote for me is a vote towards moving back towards the Constitution. A vote for me is moving us back towards the United States of America with, with one God, under, with individual, and with one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. And so I'm, uh, uh, I'm, a, I'm a grassroots fighter who wants to bring North Carolina back to its Republican roots. And those roots were basically fighting for freedom and fighting for liberty for all men. And that's what I stand for. But too many people in this race are all about the elites. And that doesn't include me and you, Jason. Yeah, no, it's, it's sad for sure. I know. And, and that's where folks folks like us on the ground got to keep fighting. And, uh, you know, we're going to get what we vote for, you know. And, and so um, go ahead and uh, tell the folks um, if they want to learn more about your campaign and, and support you or, or see, you know, what you're up to, where, where can they go to do that? Oh, thank you again, Jason. Uh, they can follow me at ncvoteharper.com. That's my website, ncvote. Harper, my last name, H-A-R-P-E-R.com. And they also can follow me, and I would love for them to follow me at Twitter, at uh, Instagram, and Facebook. Um, they can see where I'm going to be on my website, by the way. We list all our up-and-coming events. So I'm going to be visiting many um, GOP conferences and district conferences that are coming up this month and in April. And I'm really going to be trying to uh, hit the, the other uh, 40 counties that I really need to resonate in. And uh, we're, we're looking for volunteers. We're looking for building this grassroots um, movement. And so they can follow me there. They also can re uh, reach our campaign at area code 336-912-3788. Again, 336-912-3788. And I do appreciate you, Jason, for giving me this wonderful opportunity to expose the Republican difference. That's my mantra, the Republican difference. It stands for resolution, restoration, and revitalization. And that is what we need in, a North, in North Carolina and all across these great United States of America. Well, that's great. Uh, Ken, thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed uh, spending it with you today, interviewing you, learning more about your campaign. Um, I think you got a great story. Um, I certainly wish you all the best in everything that you're doing. I see you out there working hard. Um, and so, uh, you know, like I say, we wish you all the best and uh, we'll see how things go. Hey, thank you so much. And I do appreciate you and uh, keep doing what you're doing. God bless. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Kim. Appreciate it. All right. So once again, just appreciate uh, Ken's time. I uh, really enjoyed getting to know him better. I uh, really enjoyed the interview as well and wish him all the best in his endeavors. It's a big thing uh, to run for any office, much less United States Senate. And I think as as you've heard, he's covered 60 counties so far. That's incredible. I mean, that man is working hard. So um, he deserves uh, your attention at least to give him a look. So So take some time and do that. And now it's time for action. All right, so um, 
couple things here, you know, so again, leading up to the primary, we got two months to go. I'm going to keep hammering on this because it's important. And I want to remind you and challenge you to support freedom fighters running for office. If we want things to be different, we've got to vote people who are going to enact and lead with the policies that we believe in. If you want people who will fight for the Constitution, you got to vote for people who will fight for the Constitution. Look for people that have a record. Look for people who are willing to take a stand, who will stand publicly. Um, you know, don't don't just go with someone who says I'm a conservative. What does that even mean? Now, everybody has learned that that is the buzzword. So they got to say conservative. They got to put conservative on their sign or whatever. But how many of these people are actual conservatives? Hardly any. Okay, the list is very small. So um, get out there. You know, if, if you like what you saw from Mr. Harper, please support his campaign. You can make a donation. You can volunteer. I'll link his uh, campaign website in the show notes for your reference. Um, also here locally for those local freedom fighters who are out there. Here within Stanley County, we've got a lot of efforts going on. We're currently doing a campaign for our four Freedom Network candidates called 10 for the Win. We're trying to raise $10,000 for these folks by Easter in order to help them make that last push before the primary, because at least here in our county, that's the election. Uh, Here in Stanley County, we're a heavily Republican county. There's hardly any Democrats running at all. Uh, All four of our uh, Freedom Network candidates do not have a Democrat opponent, so the race will be over in the primary. So um, get out there, support those folks if you can, make a donation to their campaign. You know, every little bit helps. Um, And I can tell you, you know, while money is being raised, there's only a handful of folks who have donated. So if everybody gives a little, just think of the amount that we can raise to help this cause. So it doesn't take you guys giving a hundred bucks, 500 bucks, thousand bucks. It doesn't take that. If everybody will just give their part, you know, give 20 bucks here or $10 there, 40 bucks here, just forego a night out. Um, and, And if you're in another county, do the same thing for your folks, you know, find those freedom fighting candidates that you've got out there and make a sacrifice for them. They're sacrificing for you. You need to sacrifice for them. It's the only way this is going to work. We've we've got to get on our toes and we got to stay there so that this is not a one and done. Uh, You know, COVID, while COVID may be fading off into the distance, the next push for tyranny is coming. I promise you that they're not finished. So you got plenty of ways to participate here locally. Um, We've got a candidates forum that's coming up next Friday, the 25th. Uh, So all the GOP candidates here locally for commissioner, school board, and clerk of court have been invited. Uh, We'll know the final list of that at the end of this week in terms of who's coming. We also have a Liberty Lunch that is being hosted by Dennis Heron, one of our uh, local supporters here, who was gracious enough to offer his home. Uh, So that's in Mount Pleasant. We're going to be having a Liberty Lunch there on April the 9th. So you'll need to RSVP for that. More information is out available on the Stanley County Freedom Network uh, Facebook group. And then also we're excited to announce that Sloan Rackmouth of the Education First Alliance out of Raleigh is coming here to our area uh, to help raise money for these folks, uh, for our local free to fighter candidates, as well as just provide a lot of great information. Uh, she's going to be talking about the CRT invasion and how to stop it. Uh, Sloan and her organization are all over the schools. They are looking out for you and your children and driving the wokeness away, and they're teaching you how to do it as well. So, folks, if you're in our area, Cabarrus County, Union County, Montgomery County, and you want to come to this event, hear a great speaker and support some great candidates for office, you can simply do that by just showing up, 
paying the 10 bucks for admission and joining us, um, you know, in our fight for freedom. An update on the masking. Uh, currently, there's 111 of 115 districts with mask optional. Four left to go. Let's keep fighting. Let's get this over the finish line. And then finally, you know, as I said before, review all the candidates for U.S. Senate and choose the one that you want. If we want something, di I can't say it enough. If we want something different, we got to do something different. So I encourage you to look over the candidates, look at every single one of their websites. If you have questions, reach out to them. You know, they may respond, especially the ones who are lesser known. They, I'm sure they would love some attention. So do the best you can. Because you know what, folks? We don't need another rhino. That's right. I'm not going to kill you with my singing, but you get the point, folks. We don't need another rhino, and that's the only way that we're going to stop it. So that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening to the First in Freedom podcast. If you enjoyed the show, and I hope you did, please subscribe and give it a five-star review. That will help ensure other freedom-loving North Carolinians find it as well. The show can be found on Apple, Spotify, Google, or anywhere you go for podcasts. Finally, if you have additional feedback or show topic ideas, you can email me directly at firstinfreedom1776 at gmail.com. That's firstinfreedom1776 at gmail.com. Until next week, be first in freedom. <laughs>